I'm Cassandra Storm, and welcome to part two of this interview series with Mary and Tina White. Last week, we heard from Mary as the wife who watched her spouse transition from male to female. This week, you are going to hear from her wife, Tina, as Tina shares the story of her transition and her perspective of this transition while watching her wife, Mary, go through this life experience with her and how they work together to come through this struggle to be a happily married couple. Thank you to Mary and Tina White for all of their time in sharing their story. If you'd like to hear more of their story, I highly recommend reading Tina's book, Between Shadow and Sun by Tina Madison White, forward by her wife, Mary White. Thank you and have a great time listening to Tina's story. Now we have a very special part of this interview. Tina is joining us. So Tina Madison White, who I met years ago at Keystone when I met Mary, I met you both together. Um, when we met, I believe it was 2013 and um, in 2015, you retired and you wrote the book that I literally sped, did speed reading through. Um, I couldn't put it down. It was so beautiful. So you authored this book, Tina, called um, Between Shadow and Sun. And Mary did the forward for it. Um, and, and my goodness, what a beautiful um, duo it was to read her forward. And then, and then your writing. What, what, made, what inspired you to write this book? It, it started really as a, as a letter to my children. Um, and it became a very long letter, and and then it became a book. I I desperately wanted them to understand why I was taking this this person that they knew, this role in their life, their father, away from them, and it it it, it devastated me. It certainly devastated them, and I just felt a need to be as honest. And so it was like a metaphorically a deathbed confession. I mean, just in terms of the honesty, I, I just laid it out there. Um, and I think that that really infected the book. I feel it's a very honest book, really tried not to hold anything about me back, good or bad. Uh, there are pictures I would love to bury <laughs> in the book, but, but, but I wanted people to have a real experience and it started with my children of really who was this person that you hid from us all our lives uh what were they doing um why now and just really wanted to write a very honest account of that um as as you know uh i had just interviewed mary and had gotten her take on the spouse of of someone who transitioned um, talking to you both and reading that book, I have to say you're a beautiful writer. I highly recommend everyone go to Amazon right now and order uh, Between Shadow and Sun um, because you're right, it's honest. 
you know, and, and to know that that was years ago that you wrote that book, that you both have spoken publicly with the HRC, you've, you've traveled, um, you've really put out there your life. The honesty that I read, it, it's just, it's amazing. And there are photos. You, you go back and you show photos of Tom growing up or Tina growing up as Tom um, and the letters. You all corresponded so much with each other. I loved that you shared these, these old letters that you had written back and forth between you and Mary and you and your children um, through the transitioning experience. I can't thank you enough for putting this down on, on paper and for sharing it with the world. I mean, it, it gave me so much insight into what your journey was like. Well, thanks. I wanted, I wanted very much for the book to include the voices of Mary and my children. And with their permission, I used their letters um, to me, which were very heartfelt, and they approved all of them. Because I, I wanted the book to really reflect honestly how other people felt raw about my transition. Uh, and I found the best way to do that was to include their letters rather than my recollection or interpretation of their comments. One of the things that that really hit me in, in reading your book, you know, when we talk about now when we reflect back, you know, we talk about your children are accepting, your grandchildren are accepting, and the amazing and, and, and your family. Mary just gushed about your parents and how accepting they are. What I loved reading and, and feeling through the book was the emotion of what everyone experienced losing Tom. And there's, and I often when I interview people on the show, we don't talk a lot about we often don't even mention their name before. Um, we don't always talk about their life before. And I want to make it clear for the people who are watching and listening to this interview that, you know, and Mary and I differentiated a lot to keep the linear storyline of her life with Tom, her life with Tina, going back from forth between Tina and Tom. Um, and one of the things that blew me away was you have this quote that as long as somebody honors your future, you can honor their past. And that you don't make the family ignore or forget the life that you led before you transitioned. Um, it seems like it wasn't just a, a, I thought of it as a gift to them, but you had written that it was also a gift to yourself. Oh, I'm a parent and a grandparent, and no matter how old my children and grandchildren are, I will always remember them emotionally when they were three. That's just locked in my, in my heart. And I would never take that away from my parents, um, for them to continue to be able to gush about their little baby and to do it and to share that with me. If, if I take that away from them, then I've taken away something that has connected us all our lives and then I'm even more alone in the world. Uh, and what I cherish is that now they know all of me and I share all of me 
and I allow them to share everything that they bring, which includes their memories. And, and it is a gift to me because I now, I used to look at pictures of myself when I was a teen and a, and a, a young man, and I hated myself. I thought I was ugly. Now when I look at those pictures, I go, you know, he's kind of cute. And so it's, it's kind of nice because now that I'm not seeing that as, as me, but that person did get me here. I'm alive because that person, you know, was, was a wonderful person. Um, so why would I want to take that away? The main reason I avoided except with family is just to avoid confusion because people kind of turn their heads a little bit. But um, when people are talking about the time they knew, as long as I know they mean it affectionately, um, it's, it's fine. And as long as they call you Tina now and talk about the future as Tina. Absolutely. And, and that's the other, the, the other side of that coin is honoring my future, my present, that this is who I am. And let's celebrate that too. And I think that's how my immediate family certainly feels about it now. They're very happy confused at times. One of the things that you talk about is your relationship with your oldest daughter, Evelyn. Um, and she was like your first child to know, right? Yes. And at the time when you were living um, as Tina before surgeries, when you were still going to work as Tom and, and Tina in the evening, uh, did, was that a time when Evelyn lived with you? Was that right? She was living in New York City and I was commuting into New York City every day. Um, so she would see us frequently. And in fact, my therapist was blocks away from, from where Evelyn worked, which was a little scary for a while. I'd, I'd walk down the street, you know, there are 7 million New Yorkers walking around me and, and I'm just worried about one showing up. Your relationship with your children is, is something that really touched me. Um, I was really amazed when you talked about when your children were young and your ex-wife remarried and how joyous you were for her and for the kids the way you put that you that they finally had a father and that she finally had a husband yeah, yeah. Uh, so i felt like a failure um because at the time my strategy my dream my just one of the one of the misconceptions people have is they think that i spent my life dreaming of being a woman and no i dreamed of being a man you know, and I was going to man up and I was going to write the book I intended to write was one on how I saw I conquered my gender. And so I felt I'd failed. I'd failed my children. I failed my first wife. Uh, and I, there wasn't a moment when that what didn't gnaw at me. And, and um, they mean the world to me. And yet I felt separated from them by this this chasm. Uh, they didn't know who I was. Um, and that just killed me. And 
I wanted them to have a father figure. Um, I, I couldn't imagine a parent who loved their children more. I mean, you know, you traveled, you carried their um, drawings with you and you read them bedtime stories at basketball games while meeting with business associates. I mean, you would go into a, find a payphone at a stadium to read get a good night story to your children. Um, you know, you loved your ex-wife so much as a, as a friend in person, you were a guest at her next wedding. And it's just amazing to me that somebody who loved their family so much could feel like they were failing them. Yeah, well, and to me, that's the tragedy. It, people like to talk when they talk about transgender people. They like to talk about the, the clothing or the surgeries and all of that stuff. That is so unimportant. What's important is that you get to be, if you can't be your authentic self with people, whatever that is, you're disconnected from them. You, you cannot, I, I think that I was, I was good in some, in, in some ways. I was also absent a lot. And the reason I was absent a lot, I think in part was I felt I was doing less damage by not being around because I just felt that I'm, I'm polluted in some way. Um, and that, that makes me sad because I was. I think I, I was very loving. I've always been very loving and just was never able until now to enjoy that and, and just celebrate that. Uh, and my, my youngest daughter would often say, she'd say, Dad, you, where are you? You seem distant right now. And she could sense that, that I was distracted. And what I was distracted by was I was living in a different world that I had to keep secret from anyone I loved. But it was on my mind, but I couldn't talk about it. And that was, that was always between me and other people. And that's, that's just very lonely. I'm so amazed at how successful you were um, in supporting your family and in your career while being so distracted by um, wanting to be a more manly man. But like that, how did you accomplish so much while still dealing with this? Well, a lot of credit goes to to both my wives. I mean, I mean, I did do a lot, but um, I really, I was very lucky that my children had incredible mothers to, to draw on who were very strong, strong-willed. Um, and it, it probably gave me the room to be that softer contributor. I mean, I, I, I think you, you get in the book, that I was very loving and would try. Um, since I didn't feel structured in my own life, I, I wish I could have given my children more structure than I did. And I think they're both Mary and, and Sally before her, you know, did that in spades. And, and that was wonderful. Um, What's it like for you now that you don't have that struggle and you just get to live authentically as Tina? What are you doing with all that extra time and emotional energy? Being happy. Uh, well, and, and serving, serving the world, which sounds corny, but my dad has said that, that I've, 
I've done more good for the world than I ever did before. And he didn't, he loved me before, but I was husbanding all my energy in being safe um, and being tentative. And I don't do that anymore. Now I tell people exactly how, the first day I went to work as Tina, I thought I'd be a basket case. I really wasn't sure what would happen when I walked into our corporate headquarters. And I was so relaxed. And at the end of the day, I, I tried to think about what, how did that happen? And I realized it's because for the first time in my life, I wasn't having to say, okay, now what would Tom say? What would a guy say? I just, it's, what do I think? And people say, Tina, how are you? And I said, oh, great. Um, it's, I, I um, when I was transitioning, about the time we met, I called a woman who had transitioned, I think 10 years before me, an executive. I was constantly trying to talk to executives just because they were very relevant to my career. And I want to know how was I going to handle this? And she said, Tina, people think that we change genders or we transition because we're obsessed with gender. And she said, couldn't be further from the truth. We do it so that for the first time in our lives, we don't have to think about it. And she's right. If, if the world weren't thinking about it all the time, I wouldn't think about it at all. Whereas every day I'd wake up and I'd look at the person in the mirror, I'd put on clothing and I always thought I was with an alien. And, and now I don't think, oh, I'm a woman. I just think, oh, I'm Tina, period. Uh, and I think instead about, so what do I want to do in life? Um, what do I want to contribute? What do I want to do with my family? And it wasn't until I escaped that that I realized how much of my energy had been going into coping and sustaining this um, fiction. I can't gush about the book enough. I mean, reading about these relationships and, and how much more you've opened up as Tina um, I hear you have tons of friends now. Mary says more friends than she does. Yeah, that's been a big change. Yeah, I just, because uh, I, I, I like getting to know people and, and I certainly want them to know me. I'm, um, again, um, I've lived most of my life cut off from humanity. And, and didn't understand that. And I was desperately trying, I, I think that's why I tried so hard at work or with family is I was trying to make up for something. And um, it wasn't until I was 50 that I started to experience for the first time in my life what human connectedness really feels like, good and bad. And I wouldn't wish uh, um, I was living in solitary confinement all my life before that, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. What was your relationship like with God, having grown up with a father who was a, a minister? When I was very young, I thought, and my friends thought, they, that I would follow my father's footsteps. Uh, they called me Reverend Tom. And he wasn't a dogmatic uh, fire and brimstone preacher. He was much more in the uh, liberal um, liberation theology. Uh, um, but um, 
Yeah, as I got older and my identity issues became more and more severe or, or felt more severe, I began to feel that I'm not worthy of, of, of any God. Um, and I, I, I would pray, I would, I tried different churches, I tried everything and, and I just never felt any kind of an answer. And, and again, what, and I would, I would pray, fix me and nothing happened. Um, it was after I transitioned that I started to have conversations with God and I'm, I'm looking vaguely because I'm still working out exactly what that means, but, but I had these conversations and I realized to have a conversation with someone like we're having, you both have to be in the same room or on the same Zoom link. <laughs> um, and it wasn't God who wasn't there. It had been me who wasn't bringing myself as I am. And the minute I just said, I'm going to just warts and all, I will just be what I am. That changed. And, um, and I feel like I can have spiritual conversations now that I, that I never had. And that was very lonely to, to not even to feel cut off from your family, from the world, from God. Um, yeah, it doesn't get much lonelier. Thank you so much. That's, that's incredible. I love that idea that, you know, you, you felt at the time your prayers weren't being answered, but it's like you weren't in the room with God and that now as Tina, you're there. I just, wow. But um, bringing us back to your beautiful wife, Mary, uh, you know, she shared that you came out to her um, to the best of your ability before you got married. In fact, I think it was on the way to, to meeting her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, okay, well, if it doesn't affect me, <laughs> like, okay, what, what did that mean to you when, when you, you say, Mary, um, I, I sometimes like to dress in women's clothes, but it'll never affect you. And she's like, okay, how did you feel? Uh, um, happy. Um, it wasn't, it was complicated. I, I, I said you won't because I don't, I was still ashamed of, of who I was or, or this part of me is, is how I thought of it at the time. And I said, but don't worry, I don't need you to share in it. And I don't need you to share in it precisely because I'm, I'm ashamed of it. So I was glad that I'd been able to be honest and that um, she still accepted me. I don't think either of us understood at the time what, what I was asking or what, what we were trying to do together. Um, so I was very happy about that. I was still sad, I think at some level, that all I've done is I found someone who will tolerate me, which is, which is not the same as someone who loves you and someone that you can be yourself with. But, but that's, you, um, Lanny Rose, uh, 
got me through my transition. I'm trying to think of uh, it's an incredible book, and it was something about changing your gender, a lighthearted look at the most serious decision you'll ever make. And she compared it to become a fight to becoming a fireman. And what she meant by that was, you can't go read books to decide if you're transgender. Just as she said, if you, if you see a fire truck go by and you're kind of interested, you'll go follow it. Maybe you'll go see you know, them put out a fire. If it still interests you, you might go talk to a couple of firemen, visit them at the fire station. And it's this experiential journey where you, you stick your toe in and then you walk up to your ankles and you, and at any point you could say, oh, that's not me. But that's how you find out, she was saying, if you're transgender or if you're a cross-dresser or what you are is you just have to dip your toes in. And that helped me because up until then, I kept trying to read books um, and consult with experts. And what she said was, no, you, this, is, this is personal. This is about you, Tina. Who are you? And there's only one way to find, for you to find out. Um, going back to Mary in that conversation, it gave me room to continue to do that privately. And I felt very blessed and, and, and it was wonderful. I was relieved. Relieved is probably the word I would use, not happy. Um, but uh, it was only much later when I did come out uh, and after Mary, it was Mary's turn to have lots and lots and lots of tears. Um, and um, that we really connected at a level that I don't think we'd, we'd always been loving across that issue and now we're just connected. Do you feel though that um, you had expressed yourself fully to her at that time and that she was giving you what you had asked for? That's what it sounds like to me. It sounded to me like you had said, this is, this is everything I can accept of myself and this is what I ask of you. You know, that's a great point. I'm, I'm probably guilty of looking at this with 2020 hindsight. At the time, yes, I was expressing, I really thought I would conquer this or I would contain it and I could protect her from it. Um, and she gave me exactly what I asked for. And so I was hugely relieved. And it's only in hindsight that I realized that that relief was tempered by still a sense of loneliness, but, but I didn't ask for that. I was explicit that she would never have to see me. What was it like for you when Tina would resurface? You know, you, you went through these periods, we've talked about it a lot in the show of purging, of feeling like you had beaten Tina down, that she was gone, that you had conquered it. In fact, um, in your book, you put a, you shared a letter to your therapist where you said, I finally conquered this. I'm, I'm good to go now as Tom. I've never been happier or felt more manly. What was it like when Tina would resurface? Horrible. It was just, um, and by the way, my therapist, when I sent that and I went back from my first meeting after that, we were just talking about the, the intervening time and she just looked wistful for a moment and said, yeah, I thought maybe I'd had my first, I don't remember her words, but patient who had, who really had worked their way through this. Um, Wait, she, she was, she agreed with you. She wasn't secretly saying, 
oh, Tina will be back. She, she was, um, I don't think she was certain. She just thought maybe, maybe this time. Uh, she was always someone a good therapist keeps an open mind, um, but she certainly hadn't written it off. Um, well, and I have to say for the people who haven't read your book yet, who are, who are, who are watching and listening, you are, you were an Ivy League graduate. You went to Princeton and you tackled, from my perspective, trying to fix masculine issues like it was your dissertation. I don't know if somebody could have done more research and more trial and error. Um, you know, so at this point, when you thought you had fixed yourself, you thought you weren't trans, that you had like a damaged psyche from childhood and mm -hmm. had conquered, and that maybe Tina was an expression of that more than actually being a, a transgender person. Yeah, this was my moonshot project. And I thought that maybe I, you know, maybe we're about to land on the moon. Um, and uh, yeah, when, when that failed, and you know, I say failed actually, now in hindsight, that was a success. Uh, the fact that uh, Tina didn't give up and said, no, 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 I'm, st <laughs> I'm still here, um, was a success, but I didn't see it that way at the time. Um, I really thought that this was something to be conquered or fixed. And what's, what I, the hardest part of my transition wasn't my family, it wasn't my job, it wasn't the surgeries, it was me. I had spent 50 years beating myself down. I was my own worst enemy. Uh, I was ashamed of myself. I, I mean, and think about that. If, if, if that were the parent, if a parent had treated me the way I treated myself, I, I hope they'd be in prison. Um, and now I had to earn my own trust. And I would go on two to three hour walks every day during this, this period and just talk to myself and say, I'm here for you and, and I will stand up for you. And I would cry at that. I mean, it, and that sounds funny, but I really would start uh, sobbing because I had never said that to myself before. I am here for you. I will stand up for you. I will not let anyone hurt you again. And yet I was the one who'd been doing the most hurt. So it, it, I always feel odd sort of talking about an internal conversation, but we all have them. And the other side of me was just saying, I don't, Tina was saying, well, why should I trust you? Why should I ever trust you? You know, you bastard. Um, that was, that internal journey, I think was by far the hardest part was for me to earn my own trust and to know that I will stand up for myself because I had always caved, always. Um, and so my journey in, in some respects was very different from a lot of other transgender people who experienced abuse from outside. I was so good at keeping the secret that all of my abuse growing up came from the inside. I had a wonderful family, wonderful spouses, wonderful children. Um, 
it was me that was the problem. Um, and that might be, a, I, I often wondered if that's a, creates a very different journey story from someone who's been disowned um, and told by others how worthless they are. Um, but. Well, and that's why, you know, I wanted to have, have you on the show because you have a very interesting journey. Um, and though people are getting a fraction of it here, um, you know, to read your book between shadow and sun, you really go into it and you, and you go into it beautifully written. I've read, I've read so many books by people who want to tell a story who are not good writers. I read your book in two days. <laughs> like I could not, I was walking around bumping into things, um, reading your book. Um, you know, when you were dealing with all this, all consuming struggle, you're also watching Mary deal with this. Um, you know, you're struggling thinking you had suppressed Tina, Tina's coming back. And not only are you dealing with the real, the feeling at the time that you had failed, though now you don't see it that way, but at the time you felt like you were failing, you're also watching Mary break down in tears. How, how did you deal with that? What was that like to you when she would say, I'm losing Tom? I think that the reason we're together today is that while all that was going on, we each felt compelled to be honest about how we were each feeling, but we also each felt driven to be more concerned about the other person. We couldn't ignore our own feelings, but I, I it killed me that Mary was feeling this because she, she was and is the love of my life. She's just, um, I would want nothing but happiness for her. And so in fact, it was, I would sit there and start to do some research and say, well, maybe you need to get, uh, you've talked about going back to Chicago. Maybe you should uh, move back there for a week at a time. And just, because I wanted to give her little steps to explore other options for her. I didn't want her to feel that she had to stay with me. Uh, and she, for her part, would sit there, and when I was in the city all day going to work and um, um, going to therapist, she'd be at home crying because she was worried that I would be beaten up. Um, and I, it, it's, soldiers will talk about experience of being in a foxhole with someone and how that just brings you together. And this was Mary's in my foxhole. And it was very painful for both of us, extremely, um, but we shared it with each other. And it, the last time I suggested that she consider, you know, look into dating or look into other options, she, she just turned to me and said, I'm not gonna train a third husband. Um, or no, another husband, fourth husband, she's holding up her fingers. I'm not gonna train a fourth husband. Um, she said, just stop that. And uh, I think that was a, the same week, the day I knew we were going to make it, we were actually out. One of the things I did, I knew it upset her to see me getting close. So I would take her shopping because she hated shopping. And so I'd help her pick out shoes or, or other things. And there was just one day we were in a shoe store and I was going around picking out shoes for her to try. And I had brought one 
that she just, she hated, she just started laughing. And it's, it was the first time I'd seen her just laugh when the two of us were out together. Um, and I knew at that moment, I was pretty certain at that moment that we were gonna, it was just a matter of time and that we were gonna get through it and the wounds would heal. Reflecting now on everything, is there anything you would like to share with anyone going through this with their spouse from your perspective? Yeah, I would share two thoughts. I, I think the one that helped me most, my therapist said at one point, Tina, it doesn't matter how well you conduct yourself. You may be perfect. It will still take your family five to 10 years to get through this. And that was a light bulb went off and I realized that I needed to just be calm and give the, the gift I could give them was that kind of a time. And instead of every time saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Are we any closer now? How do you feel about me today? Was just to say, I need just to be Tina and let them get used to that and give them five to 10 years and not, um, not worry about it. Or at least not, not apparently worry about it. And the, the analogy that worked for me, if, I used to sail a lot on very small boats. And when you're in rough seas, if you look at the waves right around you, you'll freak out. And so what you're trained to do is to just keep your eyes focused on the horizon. You know, watch the waves. <laughs> you don't want to be swamped. But the horizon remains fairly level. And so I try to think about my relationships with my family, my career, all of that that my goal is where will I be in 10 years and how will I feel in 10 years about the things that I say today? Um, and that really settled me down a lot just to take that 10 year perspective. This isn't about what I do in a month with my wife. This is whether she's with me or not in 10 years, will I feel good about how we arrived either together or separately? And I think that's, that's the, um, the most important thing and and then the second is to give people the gift of space um, and self-determination you know, I want self-determination they ought to have that too and it might not include me uh, it might include a redefinition of my relationship with whether it's children parents and that ought to be okay. It might be painful. Um, and again, I think one of the reasons Mary stayed with me is she said, you know, I'm not going to get many people that think about me that much. And um, what's more important? If we'd been in our 30s, there's a good chance we wouldn't be together. But when you're 60, companionship really weighs a lot more heavily in the balance than other things that might matter when you're in your 20s. Uh, so we're together because this is absolutely the right decision for us in our circumstance. And we're very happy with that. I don't, neither one of us 
assumes that that's a universal. I think that's for each couple to work out as lovingly uh, as they can. But if you care for the other person and you show that, um, they that doesn't go unnoticed. That's lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you, yep. Tina. I, I can't thank you enough for your time and your honesty and for the beautiful things that, that you have shared. Um, I'd love to bring Mary back now and so that we could talk the, um, the three of us and I'd love to hear about the counseling that you two have done together for other couples. Okay. Yeah. Just a second. Stay tuned next week to listen to part three of this interview where Mary and Tina join us on screen talking about their relationship together now, so many years after Tina transitioned. If you would like to read Tina Madison White's book, you can find it on Amazon. Between Shadow and Sun, A Husband's Journey Through Gender, A Wife's Labor of Love. If you believe interviews like this should continue, we ask that you join our membership and support all our efforts at My Feminine Heart. You can sign up to join our waitlist for when our membership reopens in 2021 at myfeminineheart.com. And don't forget to join us Tuesday nights on our Facebook page of My Feminine Heart for when we join our audience live every week, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you for your support and have a great day.